Hi there, it's Dallas Travers. Thanks so much for tuning in. You are indeed listening to Coaches on a Mission, the podcast for values-driven coaches who want a business you're really proud of. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded before we changed the name of the show to Coaches on a Mission. So you're gonna hear a reference to the Six Figure Coach podcast. Never fear, you're totally in the right place. These episodes were just way too good to remove from our archive. So I hope you enjoy and thanks again for tuning in. Sure. Welcome to the Six Figure Coach Cup Podcast. Thanks, Annie. Welcome back to the Six Figure Coach Podcast. I'm Dallas Travers, and this is the place to be if you want to build a six-figure coaching business without burning out. My guest today is Tamika Awai, who pretty much blew my mind about three minutes into our interview. Here's why. I don't know if you relate, but for me, content creation can feel like a pain in the booty, this must-do task that I dread pretty much on the daily. Tamika offered up this one tiny shift around how to think about content and the floodgates opened up. When I think about creating content, in the past it's been a drag, but when I think about nurturing with content, I'm completely lit up. So we can now all happily say goodbye to content creation and hello to Nurture Marketing. You see, Tamika is a nurture marketing expert. She created the Nurture Matrix, which is a unique evergreen nurture marketing framework that revolutionizes the way that coaches approach social media as well as email marketing. So not only did Tamika blow my mind straight out of the gate, but she also shared a simple way to uncover incredible content, an easy way to connect more while actually writing less, plus some of the best types of nurture content out there right now. I want you to buckle up for an energizing conversation to make your content life easier, but before we dive in, I invite you to grab a free scorecard Tamika created that will help you identify the gaps plus the opportunities in your nurture marketing. You can grab your scorecard now at nurturematrix.com. And with that, here's Tamika Awai. Hi, Tamika. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Dallas. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited. I want to confess to all of our listeners. So uh, you and I first got connected because we were both guests on Marisa Corcoran's Copy Chat. So then I reached out to you and we booked you as a podcast guest. And in preparation for the show, I was doing my due diligence and my research. And by the end of that evening, I had filled out an application and thought, I need to hire this woman. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, because I got the request. I was like, oh, this is great. Yay. And then, yeah, a couple, I'm like, did I rebook the meeting twice or what happened? <laughs> like, why is this lady showing up in my inbox all, all the time? I love it. And now we're so in sync. We're both wearing leopard print today. Yes. Yeah, we've got our <laughs> matching outfits on. It's just perfect. Actually, one time I showed up for a recording and we had identical turtlenecks on. And they were very specific turtlenecks. Me and Jenna Doolittle. Blue it. turtleneck with these bright orange flowers and these khaki color cardigans. <laughs> just... <laughs> That's amazing. Matching outfits. It was pretty great. So, but we're not here today to talk about matching outfits, even though that would be fun. I want to talk about content creation and your zone of genius, which is nurture marketing. Uh, So before we dive in, can you just create some context for our listeners and define for us what nurture marketing is and maybe how and how it's different from lead gen marketing? 
and then we can kind of dig in. Yeah, totally. And the context is really important because mm-hmm. most of us are kind of like doing some sort of nurture marketing inadvertently, but nobody's naming it. And when we can't name a thing, we can't get strategic around it. Right. And so what nurture marketing is, is really what is supposed to happen after someone joins your world, joins your list, whatever that thing is, right? It's the thing that's supposed to happen to build that relationship, to build that no like, and trust factor, to give somebody something like everything they need to see, hear, feel, know, understand, so that they can make an educated and aligned buying decision to work with you. Right. It's that process of really warming up your leads, you know, warming up your audience and, and creating that connection that helps them to, again, say yes, joyfully and, um, really like really have that aligned like win-win match for your clients I feel like we could stop the episode now (laughs) because I just had the biggest aha which is what would be different for so many coaches if we stopped talking about content creation right and just started thinking of it as nurture marketing because what? Thank you. Right. Thank Nurture you. Marketing is 90% of the content creation yeah. that we're doing. Oh, I've never thought of it in that way. And that's exactly you're you're six thousand percent right. And it's so yeah. interesting because you know, in our agency, you know, folks will ask, well, what do you do? And we used to say we're a content creation agency. And I flipped that and started talking about being a nurture marketing expert, a nurture or a nurture marketing um, you know, content creator, that kind of thing, because even though folks at first like they're like, well, nurture marketing, like, what does that mean? Do I need that? Mm. It very quickly differentiates us from folks who are just creating stuff to clog up the internet. Right. <laughs> and I'm not here to create more stuff to clog up the internet, particularly when it comes to the coaching um, industry, Dallas, because there is such like with coaches, there's such a capacity and an opportunity to create like ripples of change, but you can't do that if you're just showing up, like just creating more stuff. Right. 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 So, yeah. So that is what nurture marketing is. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about differentiating, I said a little bit of it in the definition, but just to be really clear, when we're talking about um, lead generation versus nurture marketing, they're really different places of the funnel. Kind of the bro marketing, you know, dogma has us think of a funnel as a bunch of pieces and parts in an automated machine that is supposed to spit out clients on the other other end. That's kind of been co-opted from like business 101. Every business has a funnel. What is the funnel? The funnel is the process by which you generate leads, nurture those leads, and eventually convert them, right? So folks can't see what I'm doing with my hand, but the visual that they use when they teach this in business school is kind of the opposite of what you've got on your wall there, Dallas, which is a triangle, but it's it's flipped upside down. So yeah. you spend all the time, you know, casting a wider net maybe and bringing in, you know, people who might be interested in working with you. Then you take them into the nurture process, which helps people know, like, am I in the right place? Is this the person? Is this the mentor coach who can help me? And then the ones that feel ready to take action will take action and and step in, right? It's not this sort of like the funnel is not this convoluted sort of series of emails and opt-ins and, you know, with with the hope that after five days, someone is going to buy your your thing, right? It's an actual structure that lives within business because when someone is making a buying decision, they start out by maybe not knowing much about you or who you are or much even about their problem. They get educated around what's actually going on and what's keeping them in whatever struggle or problem they're having. They start to understand, okay, what, what do you as the coach or mentor do differently that can maybe help me? And then again, there comes that moment where they're finally like, aha, lights are on. I'm ready to make a buying decision. 
Right. And, and not everyone moves through the funnel at the same pace. There, that's exactly what I was going to say. Right. That's and exactly I what I was going to say. For many of us, especially when we lean into bro marketing, right, we get so hook, hooked into the the steps, right, or the timeline mm -hmm. that we just maybe just assume that that middle piece, the nurture piece, will just take care of itself. Is that Accurate. I think that's kind of like, that is certainly kind of it, but you're right. Like the bro marketing piece is like, okay, after five days and five emails, people are supposed to take X, Y, Z action. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Everybody is on a different timeline. And guess what? There are some people who absolutely, to your point of the beginning of this conversation, sometimes you will read a thing, read a series of things. Cause you said you were doing research and you kind of took in a bunch of different information yeah. and you can make a buying decision really quickly. It can be five days or less. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes you're just in the early stages of like the earliest awareness of what your problem might be. And so that education process that's supposed to happen during nurture is like vital for you to make the decision. But you like, you can't just assume that what's happening, you know, the content creation that you're doing you can't just assume that that is going to help somebody along that education process that they need. And to, to be super clear, because you're right, we probably like exploded a couple minds here. And we want to also honor that if you are currently creating some sort of content and putting it out there for your audience within newsletter, or post, like, whatever you're doing right now is absolutely a version of nurturing. Yes. It is absolutely better than nothing. And when we name a thing, we can start to, you know, get really strategic about the thing and we can start to really think about our people, our community, the folks that are in our world, you know, going through this journey and we can think about ways to serve them better so that they're making a decision more quickly in a really um, conscious way and so that they can get out of whatever struggle they're in. So, so in my view, Dallas, really being smart about um, nurture marketing, kind of, you know, thinking about it as different than content creation and really focusing in there. For me, it is a way to be of massive service and value to your audience, even before they work with you, because you are giving them the opportunity to really understand what's going on for them so that they can start to think about their problem differently. And when we think about our problem differently, we can take a different action, right? Absolutely. And I just want to underscore that because the light bulb that came on for me, and maybe this is obvious to others, yes, everything you said about how it impacts the audience, but as the person creating the content, if I'm relating to it as connecting and nurturing and building on a relationship I have rather than, oh God, I got to post again today. What can I, what content can I create? It's a totally different experience and it starts to feel like a, a positive investment rather than this thing I have to get done off of my to-do list. 100%. It shifts the energy of it completely. Yeah. Okay. I'm super stoked. Okay. So I'm just curious, and I don't know if you have hard numbers around this, but if you were in charge of the world, what percentage of time and time, but also mental energy and investment should I spend on nurture marketing versus lead gen? Mm, that is a really great question. I, okay, let me give you some numbers and then we'll see sure. if we can arrive okay. at a number. So when I think about lead gen, I think about it as being extremely important. It is absolutely important because if you're, you know, especially 
here, here's why I'm having trouble giving the number actually, because lead gen is very important. And the amount of lead gen you really need to be doing is a reflection of what type of business and business model you have. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who's like a course creator and it would really serve, you've got a vision of serving like a thousand people a year through your course or something like that one day, then it serves you of course, to have a, a quite a wide net for leads and to spend, um, you know, invest a, a, a larger percentage of time yeah. and lead generation. Someone like myself who runs an agency and, you know, at present we can only serve a certain number of people per year, like spending a ton of, ton of time on lead generation mm -hmm. is not actually helpful because I can't actually serve those people. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult for me to say like, you know, this much, that much, because I think it's different for every business. Yeah. What I will say, and it, you know, what's a more important number for me to remember um, that I love to share is that when you think about lead generation, you have to remember that the 80-20 rule absolutely applies. When you're investing in lead generation, only about 20% of those new leads are going to represent the situation that you shared, you know, mm -hmm. about kind of seeing what work I was up to and hiring me. Like only 20% of your new leads are going to go through that traditional kind of bro marketing funnel in five days and make a buying decision. So you really want to think about what's happening for the other 80%. And if you don't have a really intentional uh, lead nurturing strategy in place, what's actually happening is that they're falling through the cracks. You've got a leaky bucket syndrome happening in your business because you're gathering all these lovely people into your bucket, which might be a Facebook group or an email list or all the places. Um, but a certain percentage of them are falling right through the cracks because even though you're putting stuff out there, right? Even though you're putting out, you know, posts and you're, you're having a newsletter, they're not receiving the things that they need to receive to let them know that they're in the right place that you understand their problem and that you're like the right person to be able to help them. You're not doing that piece that really nurtures them to have what I call the lean in factor, right? When we yeah. have people in our communities, in our worlds, we, before they make that buying decision, we want to help them be in this constant state of like leaning in, leaning in, leaning in, right? Until they feel ready to step in. And this isn't about like manipulation or anything else. It's really mm -hmm. thinking through in somebody's you know, if you imagine just realizing that you have a problem, just realizing that, oh my goodness, my lawn looks crazy and it needs to be, you know, completely landscaped, right? There's a bunch of things you're going to need to kind of like know and understand yes. about the process of re-landscaping your backyard before you're going to hire somebody. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of think, and it's logical kind of like perspective shifts. And maybe there's some like hard numbers that they need to have, but there are things they need to know, right? So I, I prefer to look at kind of the that remembrance of the 80-20 rule when I'm thinking about how much time I should spend, you know, lead gen versus nurture. But I will say without giving a number that I yeah. personally believe that the lead nurture is actually like, that is where the lion's share of your time should be spent. Mm -hmm. um, because as you're hearing me explain it, it represents such a complex journey. Like it's almost, I, and I, I shouldn't say it's almost easy because I do recognize that folks can be in a swirl for a long, long time around, you know, what is the right message to use at the top of my funnel to lead gen, you know, to bring people in, what are people going to click on so that they'll give me their email address and join my Facebook group. Like, I understand that that's a thing. And there is certainly some experimentation that happens there, but that's like one tiny interaction. Mm-hmm. Right. Triggering them to join, you know, to, to raise their hand, to step in. And it's like, you know, in, in that context is a really little thing. The bigger journey then is if that there's somebody who is not 100% like pants on Friday, like I'm not at the place where 
you know, I won a million dollars and like, I don't even care how the band, the backyard gets landscaped. I'm just going to drop money and make them buy. Right. And I, and I'll hire people. Right. If I represent that person who needs to understand a little bit more about the process and make a, a smart choice about who's my contractor is going to be and what furniture I want and the purpose and all, you know, what I want that experience to be, there's a much bigger sort of journey going on there. And so, you know, that, you know, an opt-in of just sort of like, you know, five ways to landscape your lawn, like that might get me in, but I still need a whole bunch of understanding yep. before I'm going to hire. Right. Yep. Yeah. I really hear you. So two things I got from that piece. Number one, 20% of the people who come in at the top of my funnel are going to end up making a buying decision, but not all of them will decide yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I, mm-hmm. so like some people will actually decide that you are not the landscaper for me. Correct. Right. Um, so then we have this other 80% who they essentially need more I- information or time. Mm-hmm. Right. And you got in it. In order to hit that no like and trust factor. Okay. So it's yeah. not about 70% of your time should be spent on nurturing and 30% should be spent on lead gen. What I'm getting is that it's, it's don't forget about lead gen. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget about yeah, nurturing. Like, the nurturing. We're all thinking about generating leads, but we have to also invest in taking people further through that journey. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I mean, you know, the 70, 30 is probably not terrible, right? <laughs> like if, you know, if I had to, if I had to pick a number, that's probably not a, a terrible number because again, just remembering like, yes, we want to invest time, energy, attention at nurture and remember that the time that we're investing in in nurture represents multiple messages, whereas mm-hmm. our lead generation is ten, tends to be like one message. And yes, there's like, you know, where does that message go? That's where the more, I think with lead gen, it's just that more time is spent kind of figuring out like, where are my lead sources? Yeah, right. Right. And so it's kind of a different sort of energy, like the message of like, what what's my, you know, lead generated generation piece going to be like, that's a simpler kind of piece, but we spend a lot of time trying to figure out where are the different places I need to be to make that happen. Um, and with nurture marketing, there's, you know, it's, it's, it can be, you know, a complex set of messages, complex meaning like multiple, not that it's, it's stuff you don't know because everybody who's a coach in particular, like you can at the core, you really know what this is. And if you're newer, you might be just exploring what it is, but it, you will, you will land at it. You will arrive at it for sure. Um, but yeah, since it's a bigger conversation, you want it treated accordingly. Right. Right. So it's almost like lead gen can feel more urgent, but mm-hmm. lead nurturing is important, right? Exactly. So you have that urgency and importance and they both matter. Okay. That's exactly. super helpful. Thank you. Can we shift gears a little bit? I'm so curious to know now what you see working really well when it comes to nurture marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so going to guess it's not quote cards. I'm going to guess it's not <laughs> a Canva template with a Gandhi quote in my brand colors. Is that true? You would be so surprised. Um, <laughs> quote, I don't, I don't actually have a no quote card policy. We actually do use quote cards with our yeah. clients. Um, we often prefer quotes that they've made themselves, but that's right. another story. Okay. What I, <laughs> I'll get to that. What I really see working well Dallas is having content created that is around, I'm talking about the kind of the education piece, but it's really around creating content that will communicate to your ideal clients, the perspective shifts that they need to start to have to be able to start to take action about their, you know, their problems, be able to take action that would lead them to potentially working with you as opposed to, so that's, that's, 
a meteor sort of way of, of looking at it, right? Like it's got right. some, like there's some, some texture in there. You can tell you've got to kind of do some educating in there and there's some, some perspective or belief shifting in there. What I, what isn't working quite so well in my view is what I like to call popcorn content. Hmm. And by popcorn content, I mean sort of like five tips to this, four tips to that, like tips and tips and tips and tips and tips uh. is what most folks find themselves doing. And they find themselves doing that. Like, I don't think it's through any fault of their own. I think again, like one of the, one of the sort of like, you know, goodish things about bro marketing, I, I find is that there, there's always that idea of like value, value, value. Like that is a, a thing, you know, gotta be given, gotta be showing up every day, given value. And there are certainly some mentors who like take that showing up every day and giving value to the point of burnout and um, nothing that I could ever <laughs> consciously, you know, prescribed to someone as, as their particular content plan. But the idea of it is like show up and give value. And it, that started to become a direction to, yeah, to give these sort of tips and tricks continually. Mm -hmm. And so why that doesn't work so well from a nurture perspective is that when you're giving someone continuous tips and tricks, popcorn, essentially, they keep eating it. But you know, and I know, and every coach that's listening knows that if it were tips and tricks required to have people have an actual transformation of whatever kind, none, this entire industry wouldn't exist. This is a 15 plus billion dollar industry, you know, the coaching industry is. And if everyone could just solve their problems with tips and tricks, YouTube would have all those billions and we would all, you know, not exist. Coaches would not exist in that context, right? So what I believe also is that giving folks, focusing too heavily on those tips and tricks, it kind of keeps people like cycling in their problem or their pain a little bit because it's giving them that false sense that they can, you know, fix things on their own. So they go off and they try to, you know, take the tips right. and tricks and they try to fix the things. But we all know, again, that there's like something fundamental. There's, there's something else that's usually needed to be able to have them really implement and take action. Mm -hmm. And so again, like kind of really focusing in on those tips and tricks leaves them in a place of like feeling like they're fed, but not actually being full. And sometimes then feeling like they're, they are broken or flawed mm -hmm. because why is this tip not working for me? Or you, the coach, is broken or flawed because your, your tricks aren't working. Aren't working. So there's absolutely. no factor there at all. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. When we really start to focus on those, those belief shifts and those perspective shifts, you know, we have an opportunity, instead of giving someone some tips and things to do, we have them instead sit within sort of, and really think about like, why haven't I been able to solve the problem? What might I have been doing that is keeping me from solving the problem? How should I maybe think about my problem instead so that I can take a different action? So mm -hmm. we, we, instead of having someone go out to go do the tips, and even, you know, even if you're something like a breathwork coach or something like that, let's say, and the tip is actually to go in and do breathing, it's still giving them an activity or an exercise, right? Yeah. What I'm inviting you instead to consider is having nurture marketing be around sort of the inner, like mental maybe shifts, perspective shifts, again, that help you think about the problem, help your ideal clients think about their problem differently so that again, they can take different actions. So that is like the foundation of, yeah. you know, nurture marketing that works versus nurture mar marketing that doesn't really orienting it around these perspective shifts that your ideal client needs to, to have in order to step and take and, and, and work with you. And so that's really sort of like the, the crux of it. Like that's the foundation. You want to spend like 80% of your nurture marketing time 
on those sort of identifying what those messages are and communicating them until communicating them until they really land with your people. Because the other thing that's really working right now is spending a, 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 a very good, deep, you know, invested amount of time in understanding how to speak about your ideal client's problem in the language that they would use themselves. So it's not just that we want to be like perspective shifting. We also want to be showing our ideal clients that we are really like, we understand what's going on for them. We know their problems better than they know them themselves. And the biggest way that we can do that is by using the language that they would use right? Like that, that is one of the number one sort of ways that help them really know, okay, yeah, this person gets me. And this, it's like this, like you, what you're really aiming for with your nurture content is having your ideal client on the other end, be like, oh my gosh, looking, looking left and right. Is this coach in my room? (laughs) Right. Can they see (laughs) what I've been struggling? Like, can they see, can like, you want to name it so clearly, and then you want to invite a new perspective and a new way to think about it. And that really is what's Mm -hmm. working. Here's the thing though. If you have content, whether it's social or email or whatever else, and you're constantly giving people these kinds of perspective shifts, that's like, that's the three course meal. That's really filling. Right. And if you're doing that day in and day out, it can actually be a little much. It's like they get too full because like their brain feels like it's going to like, you know, as humans, we can only sort of like take in one new aha sort of like in a moment, right at a time, right? Too many ahas and we start to like, it's like synapses fried nervous system overload, right? So here's where the quote cards come in. I do think, (laughs) I do think it's worthwhile and valuable to have some fun and light pieces. Like you still want to have them align with your kind of like those core nurture messages. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I was talking about when I'm talking about that kind of those core shifts that perspective shifts that your ideal client needs. Um, we call those core nurture themes at our agency. And so you want to really have that be the bulk of the content. And you want to then have some like lighter pieces that, that cement those pieces, you know, of core, of core messaging, but like they don't, everything doesn't have to be like a, you know, you know, brain exploding emoji, like, you know, over and over and over again, just because that can be a little bit much. So we use quotes, we'll use things like testimonials. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we use a lot of questions that are along those same lines, but they're, they're a little lighter for the, for the, for the mind to sort of process and to engage with. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, I could see another problem of if if what we're always doing is providing the transformation rather than the tips and tricks. I've got a whole, I just go through your Instagram feed and I have so much homework to finish before Mm -hmm. I'm ready to hire you that that can also work against the real transformation that happens when you work with a coach. Exactly. A couple of of questions. Yeah. So the first one, I just want to check in and make sure I'm relating to this uh, in, in the best way for me. It sounds like the nurture content is designed to help the, our dream clients believe that a solution is possible. Yes. Believe that they are capable of that solution. Yes. And believe in the match with the, yes. with the coach. Yes, those absolutely. Pieces. Those two pieces. An additional piece that I would add is that the nurture content is also designed to let those dream clients know that the yeah. things that they might have tried before, right. they weren't quite right. And here's why. Ah, got it. Not your fault. Here's mm-hmm. another way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Just because okay. again, you know, we're, we're typically, and you know, it depends on, on the business, but in general, we're, we're usually, you know, our best clients are going to be the ones that are like in motion, they're leaning in, they're moving forward. So they've probably tried some things before. 
Yes. You know, they've probably tried some things before. And so we want to address that um, as well. That's a big perspective shift we want our folks to make also. Right. Right. So understanding what, like, what I've done before, why what I've done before hasn't worked. Absolutely. Got it. Good. I don't have the right word for this, so I might need your help. But I'd love to hear your take on the distinction between content that helps our dream clients shift their beliefs and content that simply educates them and how to content. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know if that's the right word. So tell me if. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, depending on your particular, you know, coaching style Mm -hmm. industry, I, you know, dream clients, everything else, some hot how-to content can exist. And I think how-to content is really great in things like webinars or in live streams. Like you want to share your teaching style um, and you want to give people, you know, some things to do, right? Yeah. Some things to kind of take action, right? So that they can have a, a taste of the experience, right? Yeah. And really mm-hmm. see themselves in working with you. And you want to sort of couple that with your perspective shifting pieces, because again, if they're taking the action without having their perspective on right, then they're either not going to get the result with the how-to or they are going to still not see that you're the ideal like person mm-hmm. to work with them because they can get how-to content from five different mentors. How do they really understand that you're the ideal one for them? Like maybe in the how-to content, they're like, oh, this process is genius. And that can, that may be so, right. um, but more often what they're the other piece of their transformation. It's like the how to, but it's also the, like the, what I'm going to do and how I'm going to experience it. And I think the, that education, that perspective piece allows them to understand a little bit about like how this coach approaches, how is this coach going to actually coach me? Because really what I'm talking about in these core nurture themes, you're coaching them through, right. Through the content. Yeah. Like the true sense of coaching, not the how to teaching, but the actual, like, coaching them through, um, you know, kind of what's going, what, what they're processing as they make a buying decision. Got it. So you're not anti-how-to content. No, I'm not anti. It's just, it's just, I see so many folks like relying on the how-to content. And to your point, they're like relying on it and relying on it. And they're like, well, people aren't, people aren't buying. Like, why aren't people buying? Right. And, and that's sad because we're here to help people. So we, you know, yeah. we want people to, to buy and invest. And so if you're relying like exclusively on how to content, it can be a little, you know, that, that can be why that can be yeah. the reason why. Um, so I like to see, you know, primarily sort of this perspective shift in content, but then yes, I love to use like more teaching how to content in, in things like webinars or like live classes, like any of those pieces, kind of like the, like they're really great. You know, that how-to content is really great for people who have been like in the perspective shifting place for a while. Right. And now all they need is like just that now that their brain's on a little bit, you know, straight about the problem and the solution and, you know, all those things, if they now, you know, meet with you in a webinar and you give them, you know, a couple little things to do, they're Mm -hmm. now equipped to like process what was easy for them, what was challenging Mm -hmm. for them. And they really see the gap a lot better and yeah. why they should actually, you know, actually hire you. So yeah, so it's not an anti-stance. It's just, uh, you know, the, the how-to can leave you in in what I call the content creation treadmill. Like you're always pumping on the, how, the how-to, the how-to, the how-to, and you're not actually seeing, you know, the return on that. And that's often wise because it's not about what you're telling them to do. It's that they don't understand. There's some fundamental things that they don't understand or they don't believe yet right. that is keeping them from, from stepping in and working with you. Yeah, I hear that. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Flawless Free Sessions, which is the proven, authentic process to help you get clients without selling. So if you feel allergic to enrollment calls or you turn into an awkward robot anytime you have to actually sell, you need this guide because it's going to teach you how to kick your sessions off from the beginning with honesty and integrity so clients don't feel guarded and you don't feel sleazy. You'll also learn the single most important sentence to say in every discovery session. This is a total game changer. You're going to learn the big mistake even veteran coaches make that ultimately turns people off. And of course, you'll learn how to let go of the pressure to sell and still be able to fill your coaching calendar. We're talking about selling inside this very episode and Flawless Free Sessions will help you take what you learned today even further. You can download this guide absolutely free at Flawless freesessions.com. With it, you won't have to worry about being salesy ever again. And now back to the episode. I'm so glad you brought up the treadmill because it leads perfectly into my next question. (laughs) What do you say to coaches who worry, who, who, who are on the treadmill or like haven't even walked into the gym because they're afraid of the treadmill, right? Of just cranking crank I can't even get started because then I just have to post again tomorrow and it's never yeah. ending and I don't want to crank out content all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So my 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 biggest piece, um, the biggest thing that I would share is that you don't have to crank out content. That's a lie. It's a big lie. Um, I, you know, again, like sometimes I think it does have like roots in the, you know, you got to create a value. You got to show up. There's a particular mentor. I won't, won't call out right here and right now. Uh, it's not my style, but there's a particular mentor who's like, if you're not showing up every day, you don't want it bad enough. And you know, that sort of thing. Wake up at four 30 in the morning. Yeah. 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 yeah, You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and like, that's not true. That's, yeah. It's fundamentally not true. So it's a complete fallacy. And I would say that the biggest way that you can keep yourself from sort of falling into that trap is by choosing to create um, intentionally with a plan as soon as you humanly can. Like even if the plan, you know, when you're getting started, the plan might be this week, I'm going to create three posts and one email and kind of that's it. But like coming up with like a manageable t- like plan, in my view, consistency trumps frequency. Frequency meaning, yeah. you know, the number of times you post or do the thing. The, the habit, the consistent habit in my mind is um, what's more important. And I think the way that you can be consistent is by choosing what's manageable for you to get started. Yeah. And then build on it as you go. Mm-hmm. The next thing that I would say is that you want to start to think about if you're someone who really like values your time and wants to be of, you know, of, of service, but all, you know, to yourself and others, um, you want to think about how you can start to create content. And this is like, this is true. Even if you're just getting started and it's true, if you've been doing this forever and a day, um, you want to be thinking about how can repurposing content, repurposing mm-hmm. start to play in, in your business. You want to think about how can I take a video live or not, but how can I take a video and maybe turn it into an email and turn it into a few posts and turn it into, do you know what I mean? So you want to think about some ways that you can bring some repurposing in there. And then I think the, the last thing that you have to remember, because what comes up for most people, when I say like the frequency thing, they can kind of be like, okay, well, are you sure? I think I need to be there every day, but I, you know, you can kind of, I can usually kind of convince them like you really don't like, yeah, especially if you're just one person, because right. 
you know, eventually the integrity of what you're posting will just go way down and just will not be useful. Right. So that part, that argument I can usually get, get through when I start to talk about the repurposing piece of it and repurposing is something, you know, our entire sort of, um, internal process, our framework, we call the nurture matrix is all around repurposing essentially. And the argument that comes up there is always, well, like I said that yesterday, you know, or I said that last week, like, you know, if I repurpose a video into like five different things, aren't people going to feel like I'm the broken record and that I've said this before? And the answer is yes. And that's great. Right. That's a great thing. <laughs> right. That's a great thing. Your permission yeah. to repurpose comes with the understanding or needs to come with the understanding that when you are a coach, mentor, teacher, and, and in particular in this industry, and I, I do believe it's true in other industries as well, but in the coaching industry in particular, your repetition, your broken record is the thing that your people need to hear over and over and over again until they make a buying decision or until they just, and again, the buying decision could be no. So either they're going to decide that you're not for them or they're not ready and they're going to go away or they're going to lean and lean and lean in and then raise their hand and say, Hey, let's, let's get started. And that repetition actually matters. And it's a part of the reason why, you know, sort of identifying kind of your core nurture themes, identifying what those core nurture messages are for yourself gives you sort of a structure that you can start to um, create a bit of a schedule for yourself, begin to start thinking about repurposing. And instead of um, creating something brand new every day and trying to think about all the tips that you're going to have for, you know, 365 days of the year, you can instead say, you know what, these are my 12 core nurture themes. I am going to create, you know, a certain amount of content around those core nurture themes. I'm going to repeat and repeat. And maybe sometimes I will freshen it up by adding a new story or, you know, a conversation that I have with a client will inspire me to, you know, create something that actually, you know, hinges perfectly on a theme that I know people need to hear. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're just like having or trying to have like the same content forever. And, you know, I create once and that's it, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there is going to be, there naturally has to be, if you're doing your job well, like there has to be a certain amount of repetition. So you might as well, um, like leverage that to your advantage instead of, forcing yourself into this crank out the brand new quote unquote, you know, air quote value, um, every single day, Mm -hmm. it it better serves you to think more intentionally and strategically upfront, or as soon as you, as soon as you become aware of it, right. Right. And Mm -hmm. start to orient yourself around, um, just again, a more intentional way to support people. And with that idea of like, I'm very, like everything that I do, in my business and probably in my life too, I'm just very outcome oriented, doubtless. Yeah. Like, I'm like, what is the outcome we're trying to create here? And then, <laughs> and then I'm usually, and then my next followed up by what is like the easiest, like possible way that I can achieve said outcome. Right. So when you're creating your nurture content, you want to think like, what is the outcome that you're trying to create here? Okay. So the outcome I'm trying to create is so that when new folks who enter my world, um, when they, when they enter, they, you know, are receiving everything they need to see here, feel, know, understand. So that eventually if it's an aligned match, they can raise their hands and work with me. Okay. So that's the outcome I'm trying to create. Then you have some like parameters to play with. Right. So if that's what I'm trying to do. Then I don't really need to create like 365 different how-to posts because is that really helping my person receive what they need to, to move forward? I mean, it's giving, it's, it's hitting the nail on the head for the, like the how-to piece of like, you know, some tactical Mm -hmm. things they can get started. So, okay, maybe it's helping them get a little bit in motion, but then I have to think, but is it really getting them in motion? Because for some people they'll take it and do it, but then some people, you know, 
they they won't maybe believe it's possible yet. So I'm not, you know, so you just get, you can yeah. start to dissect what you're doing when you mm-hmm. think about the outcome that you're trying to create mm-hmm. um, with your nurture. And, and with that, you get the, again, that giant permission slip from me and, and, and you and anybody, because I know you're on the same team, right? Yeah. Anybody who, anybody that you need permission from, we're all telling you, right? Like <laughs> you don't need to, yeah, you don't have to be in that cranking out place, but it starts with lots yeah. of um, intentionality. I really hear you. So two things, this just circles back perfectly to the point you made early on, which was that mindset shift between thinking about creating content and thinking mm-hmm. about nurtures, yeah. content to nurture, right? Yeah. So if I can stop thinking about creating more content, that permission to repurpose immediately opens up for exactly. me. Exactly. And having a framework to plug things into makes it much more simple because the goal is totally different. It's serving the client rather than like having a branded post on my feed, right? Exactly. Exactly. I want to just underscore because we've been up against this a little bit this year in my business. We had a conversation just yesterday. Someone on my team has fallen behind uh, we have we take snippets from our coaching calls inside the Six Figure Coach Club mm-hmm. and repurpose those as mm-hmm. videos. Beautiful. And long story short, she had fallen behind. So we talked about it. And she said, when I think about going back and updating all 27 things, my brain, I just freeze and I can't do it. Mm. So I'm sharing just as an additional invitation, we can build out our repurposing framework in layers as well. Yes. Because I think, and tell me if you agree, but I think if I if I tell myself, okay, every piece of content I create, I'm going to repurpose it in four different ways. How about one way? Let's repurpose it one. Let's get content out twice a week, right? Yes. The right nurture content. And then think about what's one way I can repurpose these. And then we can add the next layer. Exactly. Layer. It is crucial. And like you're saying this and you've got team. It is right. crucial for my solopreneur friends, listening solopreneur coaches, like you have to be very mindful of where your energy is spent and where your time is spent. And yes, marketing is important. All of these things are important. And if you are like running around ragged, like the energy of that is just like client repellent. So yeah. you'll be out there trying to like struggle bus to get yourself with like all these posts out there, but you'll literally be like repelling. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. Like I, yeah. I, I'm an art science magic person when it comes to marketing. Right. So like there, for me, there's an energy of it. And it's just, if you like the folks that I see in their content where they are, you can feel the churning in it. I, I personally feel that. And I believe that consciously or unconsciously, um, other folks receive that too. Cause you're, you're just full, right? Like you're full. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to really think about like, what can I commit to? What can I do? And then eventually, you know, your business builds and grows up and then you can start to think about, okay, great. Maybe I can get some help to, to take my repurposing a little bit further. Um, But yeah, it's perfectly fine to repurpose in stages also. What can you commit to? What can you be consistent with? Yeah. That's so helpful. Thank you. I want to wrap it up with one last question, which is, where does the best nurture content actually come from? Mm, your best nurture content, it really comes from, it comes from your clients. It comes from, you know, it comes from your clients, but more specifically, it comes from the conversations you have with folks before they work with you. 
Mm, tell me more. Yeah. If you are really, and, and a lot of coaches have this, there'll be some sort of a discovery process or, you know, discovery call form or something like that. If you're able to capture that, or even just, you know, either record them if that feels good or have a form or make notes, but really hear what people are saying, like, what was, what were the things that were kind of, what were they doing before they decided to like raise their hand and have a call? And then take some of those pieces and think about, okay, like if this is something that's coming up regularly, how can I turn that into a core nurture message that will help people even before they get to the point of the person being on the call, right? So for example, you know, if you are, let's say a health coach or something and, um, you know, everybody on the phone call is, you know, on your phone calls is saying, you know, I just knew that I had to pick up the phone and speak with you because you said, that diets don't work. And, you know, I've heard other people say that, but the way that you explained that diets don't work, like really, really spoke to me, then you you know that that's like a really a core message that more people probably need to hear. And you want to start to have that like earlier on and more frequently in your nurture content. So just really being pay, paying attention to your clients. Like your clients will give you all the clues in their conversations. They'll do it. And even if you're not having a lot of conversations yet, kind of walking yourself through like who your ideal client is and, um, not from a, like a demographic perspective, like we're not talking about their women and the ages of whatever, and they've got kids, like not talking about that, but I'm talking about going much deeper and looking at like situationally in their day, looking at the physical, like what, what symptoms are showing up in their day Mm-hmm. that let them know that they have a problem. What um, frustrations, you know, are they voicing and speaking out? What things have they tried already that didn't work? What myths are they probably be- believing that, that you know, maybe they need to stop buying into? Like with the health coach example, you know, the myth of like, you got to be on a diet, you got to like restrictively cut calories, right? You know, that health coach will know like, okay, if they're really thinking about who's my ideal client, like they know they can't work with somebody who's just like obsessed with diets and no matter what they need a diet. And that's just, you know, like they know that's not going to be an ideal client. So they know, they know then on the converse is true, but their ideal clients are people who have probably struggled with diets for a lot of their life and are ready for something really different. And so that needs to become a core message. So, so whatever interactions you can have with your ideal clients, especially in that process, as they decide to work with you and kind of like just after, you know, it's that point of like, just before they hire you and kind of like just after yeah, those pieces are really, really telling for your nurture content. And then again, if you aren't having those, you know, that many clients to work with yet, and you're kind of like, Oh, I don't feel like I have enough just painting, you know, the picture. And we do this, you know, we do this even for folks who've like, are super clear on their ideal client. That exercise of really going into, um, like stepping into your ideal client's experience um, and really visioning out what it's like to kind of like walk the world as them and and try things that they've tried and like that information, like that's where your nurture content comes from. So really what I'm saying is as you're trying to identify your nurture content, you don't want to sit up in your teacher mount, right? A lot of coaches, like you're also teachers, I believe. And so this isn't, it won't serve you quite as well to, to really heavily over-intellectualize and think, okay, well, I think they need this, that, and the other thing. It really helps as best as possible to step into your ideal client's experience. If you can do that with them directly, yay. And if you need to imagine a little bit, then I want you to like really actually imagine it and step into their experience instead of kind of like 
you know, being from the outside looking in and saying, well, I think it's this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. yeah. But it's, you. it's your ideal client um, that really gives you the best content. Yeah. And so I love that because inside the Six Figure Coach Club, we call it having spark interviews and everyone keeps mm. a spark sheet. Ooh, I love that. Right. So, and you're right, because if I interviewed a client who's been working with me for two years, they're, they have consumed the Kool-Aid. Yeah. We're yeah. speaking the same yeah. language. They, they, we already share beliefs. So my messaging can be a little bit off. Exactly. Right? Which is why I love that you said that period of right before hiring you or right after. Mm-hmm. Most coaches, we have some sort of new client onboarding process that exactly. includes an intake form. That intake form is not just something you give because wherever you got certified, they said you should have one. It's designed with questions for market research that you can then use in your own marketing. So I just am underscoring what you said, which is we're being fed this information. We just now need a simple routine. I'm not even going to call it a system Mm -hmm. to capture that information and reuse it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. The other thing I want to get on my high horse about a little bit, which is funny because I'm about to get on my high horse about why you should never get on your high horse. So <laughs> I'm getting very meta here. I love it. I love hypocritical. It. I love um, it. it it's, I, you mentioned health coaches. And I think if I had to pick a type of coach, it happens with health coaches most often, a very strong resistance to using their dream client's language Mm. diet even that Mm -hmm. word right Mm -hmm. and diets don't work I know a lot of health coaches who are like I don't do diets diets don't work I'm not going to call things diet anything and yet for many of them at the top of that funnel when they're still nurturing that's the word their dreamiest so what's your do you have any thoughts about that or the comp or how do we make that compromise you have to use I don't I almost can't compromise you have to use the language that you're ideal clients will use. And then you can explain your terms and your terminology mm-hmm. and your language after. Right. So it almost goes into the beliefs shifting. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like a simple structure that we'll use a lot for creating content, um, like an authority post is what we call it, but our, our form of creating content, it'll simply be you know, to kind of like speak to what's going on for the person, right? Like what's, what's showing up, what's the biggest problem showing up for them, kind of talk a little bit about what they want instead, and then present the belief shift. Like why, um, haven't they been able to get the thing that they want? Mm-hmm. Right. And once you explain, once you start explaining the thing that why they, um, couldn't re- achieve the thing that they want, you can, in that space, talk about your particular way of solving things or your particular language that you might like you can introduce things but top line if we're talking about the problem that's showing up for them now you can't tell someone about their problem in language that you use because that's not their problem a hundred percent right (laughs) you got to say it the way that they say it exactly you're speaking a completely different language so you have to so it that this is where it can feel a little counterintuitive or uncomfortable um for Mm -hmm. folks because it's sort of like well i don't talk about that and you have to remember like your person you said drinking the kool-aid that's exactly it like this person has drunk zero kool-aid they maybe mm-hmm. sipped a little tiny bit, enough of it to like get enter your world, but they they don't know anything about anything. So you still need to be using, you know, the basic language mm-hmm. that they would use. And the language really matters. And and the, I think the most uncomfortable thing about the language is that, yes, our clients will tell us 
Um, and if we're paying attention, we can find that. But when we're getting started, um, and even, you know, until we start to see real trends and who shows up to work with us, right. it can feel really hard to claim that language because it's sort of like, well, I think some people say this and that and the other thing. Um, and so I, I get that. And so it can sometimes feel safer. Well, I'll just call it what I call it because at least that part I know is not changing. Right. And here's the thing, as you're developing your nurture, you have to be willing to let it be an experiment. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to, to try diet or meal plan or whatever different versions. You know, mm-hmm. I, I talk a lot about a business coach that I worked with once and we were, she was saying, you know, her ideal clients, like they, they, they have a lot of overwhelm. And I said, you know, you work with like almost seven figure entrepreneurs. Like, are they really walking around saying that they're overwhelmed? She's like, well, no, but that's like, that's what it is. It's overwhelm, right? They've got like all these demands their hiring team did it. I said, no, you can't use the word overwhelm because they will never see you. You have to just, if, if you don't have a particular like single pretty word for it, then the way that you get around that is by describing, you know, what that overwhelm looks like. Yes. Right. And then eventually maybe you land on a term like content creation treadmill is one that we use regularly. And most of our folks really get that up front. But if I chose not to use content creation treadmill, I could say like cranking out the content all the time or posting 24 seven. Like I could try different ways of saying it until I found what landed. And that was what we had to do with that business coach client. And it's the same thing. And you're right. Like for health coaches too, because there is such a, you know, and I, I, you know, here's, here's the thing. I love the high horse. I love the box. Like, I think that that yeah. is one of the most powerful and fun pieces of, of the coaching industry is that everyone's so passionate about their various things that, you know, that they believe in and stand for. Um, but you have to remember from a marketing perspective, you need to use their language or they, they're not there yet. They can't, they can't get up on that high horse with you because they don't understand what you're talking about. They're still yeah. like, don't I need a diet though. <laughs> You know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm understanding, this is so juicy. I'm loving this conversation so much. Uh, What I'm understanding is in its simplest form with content, I should the hook, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get their attention with their language. And then we can move into the belief shifting and explain. So health coach, it might be something like the last diet you'll ever need, which my my health coaches right now are throwing their phones (laughs) as far away from them as they can. But but that's what I'm thinking. Like, I guess I want a diet that's finally going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's the last diet I ever need. And then you go into the belief shifting about exactly. why that the last diet you ever need is to throw every diet away or whatever else. You got okay. it. That you got, got it. it. You nailed it. Yeah. That's really helpful. So our listeners, I can imagine, are feeling as excited about what they're learning in this conversation today as I am. Can you think of one tangible first step that they can take to anchor this in and begin? to shift away from content generation and into this strategic nurturing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This I'm going to give an action step and I Is want this a you tip to hear or a me trick? Out. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a little bit. It might okay. be a little bit. I really think, and nobody ever wants to start there. I don't know if you see any resistance when you invite people to do the Spark interviews. Um, Because I don't know, there's like this like love-hate thing, I think sometimes around going back into the avatar. But like, that's actually my invitation. I want you to sit down and I want you to like, brain dump all the things that you can possibly think about around that ideal client um, before they start working with you. So, and maybe that's a piece of it too. Like we often think about the ideal client 
you know, as they've stepped in, I want you to like, even take a layer, like who, who is the ideal person that you would love to enter your community, even if they're not ready to buy yesterday, but like what kinds of things are going on for them and like really step out of this demographic piece and start to like an easy exercise is to, to do a day in the life of. Yeah. Walk yourself through a day in the life on their, on their worst day, on the day when the problem is like so palpable, like they're just fed up and frustrated. What is showing up for them? What are they reflecting on? What have they, you know, what are they thinking about? Like, you know, all of those different pieces just to really connect yourself in with who you're wanting to speak to. Cause again, when we're looking at any kind of marketing, but particularly nurture marketing, and we're thinking about what the outcome is that we want to create, the outcome we want to create is we want that person to see some sort of, you know, sign from the internet that like lets them know they should pay attention to you. And we want to help them to see, to help them to know that you see them, you hear them, you understand them, and that you can present a better way. All they have to do is sort of lean in, right? So the avatar is really the place to start. Because I know most folks listening will be like, I'm going to jump into my core nurture themes. Here's what I think they are. And there was a part of me that was almost like, well, maybe you can go there. But really the place that you get started, Dallas, is, is mm-hmm. the place that most folks like want to say, well, I already did that. I have an avatar. And they'll like pull up the document that they've got, um, you know, and the truth is you, you need to revisit that with a whole new lens to be able to do this effectively. A hundred percent. Because avatar, most avatar work asks you what's their occupation and what is their age range and how much money what magazines do they read that stuff is not going to help you create the kind of content that shifts beliefs that's right so I love that you what you encouraged us all to just think about the day in the life of and really getting into the nitty-gritty of their experience around the problem that you solve I don't care if they work at an advertising agency or if they make jewelry from home and sell it on Etsy that is not the point so thank you And then another step people can take, and I know I talked about it in the intro, everybody, but um, this nurture matrix whole idea is such a shape shifter for me. And Tamika, you have this really cool like self-evaluation or scorecard to help every coach really identify the gaps and the opportunities in their marketing. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I, that exercise was so illuminating for me. So I want to make sure everyone takes advantage of that as well. Thank you. Yeah, that would be a great place to start too. Good. So can we keep talking forever? I just love this conversation. <laughs> we could, right? I'm like, oh, really this, this, yeah, we're having we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> I can nerd out on marketing like, I know. all day, every day. It's so, it's so true. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and having this conversation. It was super valuable. And again, the first thing that came out of your mouth was a total shapeshifter for me. So I'm sure our listeners feel the same. So thank you so much for joining us today. My absolute pleasure, Dallas. Thank you. Of course. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Six Figure Coach Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review the show. That's really the best way to show your support. Now, if your goal is to build a six-figure coaching business and you need a simple system to get there, I would love to invite you to join us inside the Six Figure Coach Club. I'm so proud of the community we've built there. Plus, the mentorship and training you'll receive is truly unmatched. Now, the first step to joining us is to actually watch the coach class. That way you can see how my approach to six figures can work for your business. And from there, you can apply to join us inside the club. So go to watchthecoachclass.com now to learn more about how I can help you reach your business goals inside the Six Figure Coach Club. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.